podcast within a podcast pottering around the Swedish short snout to the Chinese fireball of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are kind of with Rose Murder on this one. Get that flask out of my bar, Moody. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? There are some times, there are most times when I heartily agree with your opening <laughs> spiel, but this is not one of them. Which, which part of this do you take issue with? BJ. The Moody Flask. Like, like I, I appreciate the necessity of this, but but you're not going to part this old crotchety man and his hip flask. <laughs> just like, but at least just buy something to have in front of you in the bar if you're going to drink from the flask. Sure, sure. I, I, I can agree with that. Well, fine. So we are <laughs> in uh, chapter 19 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the Hungarian Horntail. Yes. And we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and there are a whole quarry of questions and queries <laughs> and qualms and quibbles, which I am prepared for this chapter. <laughs> Well, Sarah, last time around, you took it on the chin a little bit that you went over time. You've got another quite long chapter here in front of you. Do you have a different kind of performance prepared? I hope so. These chapters have been getting increasingly... Exactly. Freewheeling, we might say. (laughs) BJ's rules are designed to hurt you in this particular manner. You were able to build a nice cushion of points to start, but from here on, there is only pain. Yeah, so I do... This one, this chapter has a little bit more wiggle room in terms of just skipping shit. So yes, it, <laughs> so it, a, yeah. A significant portion, like the first half of this chapter, is kind of going over the same themes and events that were already really the main focus of the prior chapters. So yes. we know them. We we know that them. doesn't mean that it's not part of the chapter summary. However, yes. Well, so so we declares the, the judgment judge of... on the quality of this chapter summary here in about well, two minutes. Um, do you have a goal for yourself, or just under two minutes winging a prayer? No, I am going to actually make a bet. Although it is going to be my sort of hedged bet, as it were. I will um, be betting the one minute and fifty five seconds. I believe that I can a get it on under... this next time around. <laughs> We're going to start calling that the shrubbery bet. <laughs> well, uh, I have the time written down. I've got the cheap plastic stopwatch ready. Are you ready? I wish I'd hydrated more before this. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's life is not getting any easier, and he is dreading the first task, but at least he has a talk with Sirius to look forward to. Particularly good, given that Rita Skeeter has published her almost entirely fabricated interview, which barely mentions the other champions and gives Harry's enemies plenty of quotable ammunition. He's so on edge about the whole thing that he shouts at Cho Chang before realizing who she is. She nevertheless wishes him luck at the first task. Worth putting a pin in the fact that Hermione was also mentioned in Skeeter's article, meaning that she's drawing flack as well, but Harry doesn't have time to think about that now because he's too busy ruminating on how she's not as much fun as Ron. And they spend a bunch of time in the library 
Library, where Crom annoyingly also is. There's a Hogsmeade visit, and Harry goes in the invisibility cloak so he doesn't have to deal with anyone. Harry ruminates on what it would be like to not be Harry Potter as he sits under his cloak sipping butterbeer. Hagrid comes in and talks to Mad-Eye Moody, who is, as usual, drinking from a flask. P.S. Moody could totally see through the invisibility cloak. Hagrid tells Harry to meet him by his hut at midnight with the cloak. He heads down that night to meet Hagrid, who needs to show him something. Hagrid's dressed up again, and they go to collect Madame Maxime from the carriage before heading out again. Uh, from under the cloak, Harry realizes Maxime doesn't know where they're going either. Deep in the woods, uh, they come to an enclosure guarded by a group of men, including Ron's brother, Charlie. The first task is dragons, and even the dragon keepers are having trouble controlling the Hungarian horntail, the Welsh green, the Swedish short snout, and the Chinese fireball, so now Harry knows the task. Maxime knows, and Karkaroff is seen hiding in the woods, so presumably he knows as well. Only Cedric has no idea what's coming. Harry races back to the common room for his meeting with Sirius, who ha- whose head emerges from the fireplace a la Amos Diggory. Harry immediately starts uh, data dumping everything that's been going on at the sight of a friendly face. Sirius is most concerned about Karkaroff, who he reveals to have once been a Death Eater who spent time in Azkaban, but he did a deal with the Ministry of Magic to get released. Sirius is also concerned about the attack on Moody over the summer and has heard rumors about the World Cup and Bertha Jorkins, but Sirius also has ideas about the dragons. But before he can tell Harry the spell, Ron comes down the stairs, scaring Sirius off. He and Harry have, um, words. Harry throws a Potter Stinks badge at him and bad feelings are had all around. Stop it, Spencer. <laughs> Again, peace sign. Flash the peace sign and I understand. <laughs> you, ma- you made it perfectly. I did. 15644. Okay. Oh. Uh, does that, uh, somebody, while I catch my breath, somebody tell me if that passes whatever committees you all have set up. Uh, BJ, judge, jury, and executioner, how do you rule? Um, this was a pretty good summary, I will say. Um, you know, there were some minor bits left out, as, as summaries always do, um, but I will give this a, a B-. minus. That is a solid pass. I will take it, <laughs> although I think you're mean. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and a solid two points to add to the chart. Um, BJ, what are you wheezing a, about? A C is still, a, you know, a pass. So is a D. C's get, C's get degrees. <laughs> these, actually, most many places I've been, these aren't a pass. Oh, interesting. Of. I have or no experience with said things, so. Yes. <laughs> C's get degrees, might as well be the, gra- the graduate school maxim. Um, yes. I have a couple things to wheeze about. Um, dung bombs. Yes. This might also show up later as questions, but I mean, stink bombs are a thing. This mm-hmm. kind of seems like it, it's, you know, rehashing old things, but, um, you know, I'm curious if they actually come up again. Um, this will probably come up in questions about Harry Potter. Uh, I just wanted to mention the Slytherin uh, young student named Pansy Parkinson. Um, we're going with the alliteration again. Mm-hmm. I. I wonder if the only characters that get alliteration are mentioned again. We do get some students later at uh, at the bar um, that I presume are never mentioned again because they have normal <laughs> names. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll sort of have to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going back to uh, some of my bailiwick of tried and true things. We have yet another paragraph sentence in oh, this chapter. Boy. Take us to it. Yeah, where um, is it? So I'm it's, glad I have my book uh, this time. When when uh, they're talking, the Slytherin girls are complaining about uh, Hermione being stunningly pretty, oh, and yes. they're comparing mm-hmm. her to a chipmunk. Um, it's a couple of paragraphs later with Hermione was furious uh, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the pair of them. Semicolon. She went from one to the other, comma, trying to force them to talk to each other, comma, but Harry was adamant, colon. He would talk to Ron again only if Ron admitted that Harry hadn't put his name in the Goblet of Fire and apologized for calling him a liar. I that guess colon you can... is real aggressive. <laughs> that, that that's a an impressive colon. Um, 
It shouldn't be there. No. <laughs> uh, it needs some resection, and what? and a semicolon just won't do. It, but one could argue that it is proper use because it is explaining what what Harry was adamant about. So it it can fit in proper usage, but like you said, it is an aggressive sudden appearance in the middle of that paragraph. Yes. I never really um, think of punctuation as aggressive, but here we are. Yeah. There aren't many u- authors that use punctuation in such aggressive manners, and so when they do, we need to talk about it. Oh, the real Rowling legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, aggressive punctuation, alliteration, and other things that you can do with the English language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that there is a thing that I don't love. Um, Hermione is going, uh, in a way that a lot of nerdy people at least used to go with just being shitty about, um, sports. The wonky yeah. faint thing is mm-hmm. just like a really she she's gonna know what it is. She's gonna have read at least three books about Quidditch, and it's the only thing that she and Ron have read in common. Right. <laughs> like, and she, she and she's a data sponge. She's heard the term before. She's not she, she she's not gonna mess it up or, for, or forget it because it's Hermione. She doesn't mess up or forget things, except when it comes to sports terminology. Apparently, yeah. It's possible that something else is going on here. Sure, but she. Hmm was kind of flirty anyway doesn't matter um we're gonna go back a little bit to punctuation we have a uh double semicolon sentence uh he didn't mention this semicolon he and hermione hadn't discussed what was coming the first task much semicolon he had a feeling she didn't want to think about it you know not not the worst not the best um i i still think semicolons are maybe underutilized in in general in the English language, and we're just trying to make up for that in a single book series. Um, Interesting choices. What can you do? I like the idea that there's only, like, this is an only so much pie situation. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there are only Mm -hmm. so many semicolons available to use across all of literature. There is an allotment per year. Mm -hmm. The, the, The 90s. And maybe early 2000s, I don't remember when the last book came out, were, it was were heavily it was dominated the 2000s, by a yeah. single series. Yep. Mm, mm. Um, there, there were a lot of, uh, you know, poetry classes that were just like, I, you know, we can't, we just can't do it. We don't have those anymore. They, they've been used up this year. In much the imagine. same way that the M dashes could not travel anywhere else in Emily Dickinson's time. <laughs> Thus the semicolons in the 2000s. I'm not picturing there's like a farm somewhere that grows these that's under under government contracts and it's just not able to meet supply demand years. Yeah, really, this is just a supply chain issue. Yep. Yes. And and in the UK, it's even more problematic because, you know, it's it's a dude with like a rickety cart and a Shetland pony. And you know, <laughs> they just don't get around that much. Well, you know, if they could get some policies, of these horses, they'd be better off. <laughs> Um, this definitely should be in questions, but this is much more of a wheeze than a question. So Mm -hmm. does Hermione say S-P-E-W and Harry Potter say spew? Or does Hermione like acquiesce because we have like two sentences, one right after the other, where Hermione says something with S-P-E-W and then Harry Potter says spew stuff. And, and so I'm just sort of wondering if like Hermione refuses to use that acronym and just says the letters out each time or not. This is when they're in, in uh, yeah. the three brooms. I would imagine that she just refuses to acquiesce on this point. <laughs> Although perhaps she makes the occasional slip up. I don't know. This is one of the subplots that unfortunately 
uh, gets left out of the movies, so we do not oh. have. I know. Gotcha. And I don't know how they handle it in the audiobooks. Um, that would be an interesting thing to kind of look into. Um, the last thing that, uh, I think it's the last thing that, that I do need to mention is on my first uh, go-through of this chapter, uh, which was a little while ago, I read something and just sort of chalked it up to uh, Hagrid saying things. Maybe it was like a you know, like Balderdash getting in somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't put two and two together. Um, but he says Bong Sewer to Madame Maxine. Uh -huh. um, an artful miss of Bonsoir. But but really... I, I think it's just his accent. What Was it Bonsoir or Bonjour that he was going for there? Well, it's night. So, so true, true. Uh, yeah, but that does not necessarily but, but sewer mean... But is a lot it's closer to Bonsoir than, than Bonjour. I mean... I, I'm just impressed Hagrid would know the difference. <laughs> to even attempt to make the difference between the terms. I mean, I imagine that he has had to talk to a bunch of French wizards to get all sorts of creatures that are native to France. Mm. I mean, I would that does guess not that, that most any... magical frogs are... I would say that that does not in any universe mean that a, a, a man who lives in a hut on castle grounds and has lived in the sort of wilds of Scotland for his entire life has made any effort before to pronounce any French word ever. That's true. I mean, he also, um, a, as in Spencer's favorite series of all times, wants to know more about the large lady. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, he's making an effort. Mm. It's not a bad one. <laughs> Romantic getaway to, to see the dragons. I think it's very mm -hmm. sweet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, newbie's notes. <laughs> uh, first things first, dung bombs, since you mentioned it, BJ. I really appreciate things that just leave no doubt, no uncertainty as to what they are. There are this things is... on the walls at the end of this process. <laughs> If you throw one of these, you know exactly what you're getting. And that's not, that's not something we often see in wizarding products. They add a certain degree of, you know, ambiguity to add up to the magical mystery. No, this, throw it, get shit. Well, I mean, Tun Tung Toffee is not really confusing as to what it is. I, to, this seems a lot more like a, a Weasley Wheeze than <laughs> other, other products. No, I actually agree. It's that Tum Tum Toffee was not an actual mainline product with all the classic ambiguity they put into it. It was the Weasleys yes. starting to market something. Because they're a new company. They need to kind of build that basic consumer support first. You understand. Uh, I enjoy that everyone in Rita Skeeter accounts is hotter than they are in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw that in the last book, of where, last chapter, of the when the pen's just riding away. It just spends most of its time just talking about Harry's eyes and the emerald green or whatever else. And then here we get the description of Hermione, who's not necessarily unattractive, but usually described as mousy and somewhat bucktooth, described as an exceptionally gorgeous <laughs> muggle. Well, I was going to say, the other side of that is, Rita Skeeter herself doesn't seem to be the, the looker that she might want to purport to be. So if everything is just like up a couple of notches, then she gets dragged up with it. <laughs> But yeah, it's also like she's basically writing like, you know, a Hollywood account of actual events. And it's the Hollywood mm -hmm. effect. Everyone's hotter when mm -hmm. they're portrayed in a ho by, by Hollywood. Um, the continued shipping of Hermione and Harry, I debate whether I'm into it or not. 
We'll see where it goes. I think I honestly prefer them as just being close friends just because of how common it is in fiction to see the close male-female friends eventually hook up, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, it would be weird if, you know, they did after the amount of uh, broom polishing stuff he she's given him. <laughs> or maybe that was a hint. <laughs> she was being way too subtle for him at that time. Uh Hermione has also the unenviable task this chapter of being in the middle of a friend fight where she's trying to get the both of them to grow the hell up. And that's, as per- a person who's been in that before, it sucks. And mm-hmm. Hermione's been in it, like, once a book. Yeah. I mean, the, the weirdest thing, and I think that we've talked about this a lot, and so, I mean, it is a bit of beating a dead dragon, but they're 15 now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like... This is not a 15-year-old, like, interaction. Oh, I don't know. You're 15 and my 15 were very different. (laughs) Me, Jay. I I don't know. Like, there are parts of it that ring true, but, like, some some of it just doesn't, like, ring true for me. I don't know. I guess I was more in the, like, have a disagreement, punch each other a couple of times, and then you're done uh, group of people than, (laughs) than otherwise. Also, like, you know, I didn't have friends that I had been close with for that many years like we didn't have stupid like spats like this it was much more like people i was in class with or whatever that we were vaguely friends because we were in the same class or grade or whatever rather than people that i would have spent a summer and with them at their house like Mm -hmm. anyway It just seems a little... I would take a little bit of issue with characterizing this as a stupid spat. I mean, parts of it certainly are, but I... And I don't know that it's always, like, the best described, but I, I do think that we get enough to know that, like, really this is a culmination of, like, all of the hurt that Ron has been feeling. And yes, it's coming out in a sort of stupid way, but I don't think that... I don't think that the underlying issues are stupid. I think it's the real crux of, like, what is at stake in their friendship. Yeah, like Harry being at the forefront and Mm -hmm. and Ron, like, wanting that. But Ron being frustrated that Harry's the main character. Yes. (laughs) It's the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's of a long, simmering resentment. And that that is a kind of really toxic thing that can seep into even old friendships, which is very unfortunately so. Yeah. Um... We get two interesting details with respect to Moody uh, when he comes in when he when he comes into Hogsmeade. Is that point number one? Damn, his eye is powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's not just... think about the implications of him seeing through the invisibility cloak too closely. No, I wasn't until now. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, uh, the other thing there is that he also refers to it can see through invisibility cloaks, mm. plural, which is interesting because we previously I thought had the invisibility cloak portrayed as a kind of one of a kind unique magical artifact. So the idea that there are apparently other ones out there, maybe not as good, maybe not as legendary in reputation, is an interesting broadening of the idea of how, of how magical artifacts work here. I think that we had a little bit of Dumbledore's talking about invisibility, the cloak specifically, but just generally, like things being invisible or whatever else, and that like Dumbledore can see through it too. So like while it might be a unique magical object, like the class of object I think is not unique. Like my, well, presumably we're never going to see it again, but the the map, like, you know, created magical objects. There are probably other things that have been like that, but that's a singular thing, presumably specific to Hogwarts, where like this cloak was kind of specific to Harry's dad. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. But like there were probably other, you know, cloak type invisibility things. Like it's not going to be really helpful if it's like invisibility britches. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that the explanation that we get is that like maybe this invisibility cloak is you unique, um, but more in the way in which the magic is either the type of magic or the way in which the magic is woven into the cloak. It's a little unclear, but like others are kind of cheaper facsimiles of it where they mm. have like um, invisibility charms that would like their cloaks with invisibility charms that would like eventually wear off or something like this. It something like that. They won't last forever. It's, widely understood that this invisibility cloak is just like different in that way specifically like this is just we don't know how the magic works we may never figure out how the magic works but mm-hmm. this is like an everlasting invisibility cloak which yeah. in and of itself is unique does like not stop invisibility cloak versus like invisibility potions yes kind of deal. yeah yeah this is inherently okay. invisible instead of like a dipped invisible in- <laughs> yeah <laughs> no achilles effect here yeah um uh, Sarah, I'm with you. The Hagrid Maxine date is adorable in all flavors. Uh, it's an aggressive call. I mean, this, as far as we can tell, this is like their first-ish kind of date, as it were. Mm-hmm. And he's taking her to something that he absolute really enjoys, which can be a great idea for a date, but usually what's some foundation knowledge. Maybe he had that here, though, because it seems like Maxine is into it. I mean, Unclear if she's really into it or if she is into the knowledge into of what the first yeah. task is. For her, for Fleur. But it, I like the other thing that that seems to be a thing is like people that I mean this is a little uncharitable, but that like are into Hagrid are into just like all right, like we know this is gonna go somewhere interesting. Like that this is not <laughs> going to be we're, we're, you know we're gonna go out for uh you know a walk in the park and a coffee at Starbucks. This is just like you know we're gonna learn how to you know build build a hut in the woods out of like dung and, and palm fronds like this is you know it it's a unique experience it's probably going to be interesting it might be a story that you have but it's going to be a thing Hagrid it, it, it would is... be the best and worst Airbnb host oh dear god <laughs> yes wouldn't serve you the best breakfast in the morning, but it'd be a hell of a trip. <laughs> like, you would have pl- have planned a lot of things for that trip, and then, like, 99% of it is completely derailed. Yes. And if you're okay with that, it'd be great. And if you're not, it's just like, why, why are we taking your weird big dog for a walk now? <laughs> like, what's... To the spiders? Like, what is Right, happening? this is not something I signed up for in this Airbnb. It said, quiet room in... in cozy house wooded area you, you, you can be reassured with Hagrid that if he gives you a map to get where he wants you to go the part where it says here be dragons isn't the edge of the map it's the destination <laughs> uh it's also interesting that Hagrid is being a bit of a cheating bastard it's uh we've seen him be a little bit fast and loose with some of the rules before often at Dumbledore's seemingly direct direction but he's just straight up helping Harry cheat here and mm-hmm. that's interesting I kind of wonder if it's a, we know which dragon Harry's going to get. I'm guessing. Maybe we don't, but I'm, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. And, and Hagrid was just like, okay, so they've made it unfair. Like, how can I rebalance that? That's a fun call because they didn't know until like a week ago that there would be four champions. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that they would need four dragons. Yeah, right. they had to find it's, a fourth dragon like on the quick. Seems to be... Part of the reason that Charlie is here because yeah. he was 
in he, Hungary. Or and the area. dragon expert. It seems or like they almost just, they put in a personal call to him saying, dude, we need another dragon stat. What can you get us? And he mm-hmm. just bagged one to get him real fast. So it may not be they're purposely being a dick to Harry. It may just be, we got what was available. It's sure. lethal as all hell, but it's here. I mean, so, uh, well, you know, this is the plot balance, right? You have to throw something at Harry that's unique, but you have to give him a little bit of a way out. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's also, again, fun to say that this is just Hagrid's utter dream. Uh, there, It's not just one species. It's not just four, four members of the same species of dragon. It's four entirely different dragons. They're throwing a fit. They're massive. They've got babies on the way. This is just what Hagrid gets up in the day hoping the day will bring. Yeah, and- this this is the uh, the person that wants to go and, and pet the daggers that, that are in the bars. And, you know, he might do fine because he's Hagrid. But, mm-hmm. like, if there weren't everybody watching... And, like, I'm a little surprised he didn't, like, go up and pet them. (laughs) Even with everybody watching and them being, like, a little difficult. Mm -hmm. He was on a date. He wanted to focus on his date. He was being polite. Uh, My bet, as well, is that one of the few bits of information we get out of what their plan is here is that they don't have to kill them. They just have to avoid them. But they all the dragons needed to recently have a clutch of eggs or Mm -hmm. recently needed to be pregnant along those lines. So it seems like they're setting it up is that You've got to steal a dragon egg or something along those lines, which seems like an inevitable path to death. But that's also a side purpose of these games, too. So, sure. And, BJ, I fully agree with you that, obviously, Harry is getting the Hungarian Horntail. That name of the chapter, it's the last one they set up, it's the biggest and most dangerous, and Charlie's here. He's getting that one. Yeah. Uh, we get the very ambiguous scene of Karkaroff alone, which, Sarah, you mentioned very much in Purple's Purposeful Passing. Uh, yes. He is interpreted by Harry to be going off to go see the dragons, which means that's obviously not what he's actually doing, because they <laughs> wouldn't have told us that if that was the case. We also find out about it five pages later that he was previously a Death Eater and actually went to Azkaban and got out because he named names and apologized profusely for his prior crimes. So, and also, I believe it was Moody himself that caught him, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. all that means that Karkarov is a potential loaded gun that could go off at any time. He's, Karkarov is the Chekhov's gun if we wanted this story any more than it wishes it to be. Karkarov's wand, I think we need to call Kar- it for this Yes. One. I, I'm assuming he's going to play some integral role in the plot, or he will pointedly not, and this is a red herring. But either way, they want me to think about it. So, hearkening back to the first chapter, um, and, you know, it's it's been a little while, so, so the details are a little hazy, but my vague memory is that we had a couple people that were undefined. One of them was Voldemort, and then there was another undefined person he was talking to that... I think it was, I think it was Pettigrew, didn't we... Do we know that, or I th- I thought Pettigrew was the third. Oh, I don't I don't remember if there were three. You mean in two. the in the conversation in the right in, big house in front of the the fire? Yeah, there were two people in the room. Okay, well, uh, one thing, mm, one category. Well, the, the, there was second. also the there was also we know there was the groundskeeper guy that was there. Was Frank, to, yeah, yeah. yeah to, to sadly get murdered. Um, one ca- check oh, that. So, there might have been a third. Well, Sarah, while you're checking that, one category we do know that Karkaroff falls in though is that. We had it previously discussed that a lot of former followers of Voldemort are actually not too eager for him to come back because the only reason that they're allowed to be in polite society is that they either turned on their fellow followers or they named names or they denied any loyalty to him. And so when this beacon suddenly appears in the middle of the um, uh, the World Cup, 
uh, it caused a lot of them to actually run away in fear and be concerned because they don't actually want him to get back. They're fine with, you know, hanging out in private Death Eater clubs, but if Voldemort returns, it could potentially be an active threat to them because of their prior disloyalty to his cause and banner. Seems like Karkarov might firmly fall in that camp, and it's even discussed here that he might, unless there was an element of treachery in him like naming false names or whatever else when he went, when he went, when he did what he did. So maybe he actually isn't involved in a conspiracy. Who knows? It seems like he's teaching all of his students uh, the dark arts, but there can be justifications for that. Um, ah, BG- I, I found what I was thinking of uh, in the first chapter. Uh, Voldemort was trying to find, he was talking to Peter Pettigrew, but they were finding a wizard that whose, whose loyalty had never wavered, who had brains and could be relied on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Doesn't, I mean, from what we just heard, that doesn't seem to potentially be Karkarov unless there's an element of hidden mo- of, of hidden objectives about what he did. Yeah. Uh, BJ, I'm surprised you didn't comment on portraits falling asleep. I, I, I <laughs> You have yeah. to give me a break from the paintings. <laughs> I figured that, like, it, it was, it like, it was unsurprised. Like, we knew stuff like that this happened. But yes, it, it was kind of entertaining that that was a thing. Um... <laughs> And just responding to phantom words and just saying, eh, yeah, sure, I literally don't see anyone here, but come on in. Yeah. Uh, we have a reappearance of a spell that we saw earlier where we see Sirius's head appear in the fire. Mm-hmm. Which I think, sir, you said the first time around is basically just using the flu powder halfway or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. And But this does sort of violate Hogwarts's, or like, ring of protection. Mm-hmm. So... Which is sort of an interesting question of like we know that Sirius is is powerful, mm-hmm. but we know, we know some of the ins and outs, right? But but this is a like I would guess that Dumbledore is just like oh that's who's got, like it's fine he needs to talk to Harry Potter <laughs> kind of deal rather like th- there was a oh, you know he, he got a pass. Dumbledore's the web admin in terms of deciding who gets in out of the network. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, in terms of other security, we, we now found out that Moody may have been intentionally brought in to serve as an R on grounds, mm-hmm, um, yep. given Karkaroff's presence and given the other possible threats to Harry, which makes abject sense. Um, we, of course, get a frustrating moment of when Sirius is about to tell Harry that there is one simple spell is all he needs to defeat a dragon, and, of course, he can't reveal what that one simple spell is. Meaning, But it's not a stunning spell. Don't stun the dragons. Please, dear God, <laughs> Harry, don't stun the dragons. <laughs> So Harry's going to stun the dragons. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we, this is like the one thing that Harry's like, oh yeah, he said stunning dragons. Oh, whoops. Hopefully Harry immediately takes this information to Hermione so that she can directly assist him in surviving the next chapter. <laughs> nah, it's not going to happen. We know better. Of course not. Uh, and as for the closeout, it's we actually don't get many moments of where Harry is just very obviously in the wrong or mm-hmm. very obviously acting an unpleasant, angry person. I mean, he has a little spout, mm-hmm. little spout, little bouts of does, anger. This is further in that line, but he kind of does stuff kind of like this regularly, where it, he is about as selfish a character as we get, other um, than like maybe Snape and Voldemort. And that's not clear. I don't know if that's necessary. Or no, sorry, Percy. I mean, he's like, angsty. He, he's, he's he's very. This is him at his most angsty. This is him most acting his age and acting as a yeah. proper teen, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we talked about before that that's some of the characters true. are portrayed as being feeling younger than they actually yeah. are. This is Harry at fifteen. Yeah. This I've had these fights before of where I even felt like a dick when I was having the fight. <laughs> 
I but you knew can't at, help yourself at that point. It, yeah. it, it, at a certain point, there's just pride that's dictating actions. And Harry here has had a bad day. Harry here has had a rough time. He feels a bit betrayed that he hasn't had another friend, other friend to turn on here. And so, despite the fact that <laughs> I friend... think you mean turn to Spencer, but <laughs> he it, it was turn a, on a really good friend. slip up. A bit of a Freudian slip. Mm. Um, so Ron doesn't really do anything here. He honestly just seems curious. But Harry explodes on him in a way that almost seems like it leaves Ron flabbergasted at the end of even how to manage it or deal with it. So it's a rough moment. Harry in the you know bright light of day is going to regret what he said and did, whatever else, while still trying to blame Ron for it. Yeah. But it was a fun moment just to very much see them acting like teens. And that was a very authentically mm-hmm. teen moment. So... That's enough for me. Uh, Sarah, you had a whole batch of characters again, but with maybe less obvious winners and losers than last year. Oh, I think we have a very obvious winner. I, I have a very obvious winner. Hagrid is my winner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hagrid Fair. has had the best of all possible days. He had a drink in the three broomsticks with his friend. Um, then he got to go on clandestine adventures with Harry. He also got dressed up to go on a date with Madame Maxime and he saw dragons. Like what more could he possibly want out of a day? Probably not to have the, uh, teeth of the comb stuck in his hair, but you know. Well, it doesn't seem like he's noticed that all that much. It's it's just part of the look. Um, so clear winner. I don't, I will brook no, uh, no conversation on this one. However, the loser of the chapter is a little less clear. I mean, I think that we could easily, yeah. I mean, I think that we could easily give it to Harry again, but he is like kind of just in a steady state from last time. And actually he did, you know, he did get to have his conversation with Sirius. Um, he does at least know about the dragons at this point, which seems like a step up in the world. Um, I I think I agree with you, BJ. I think the end of this chapter, and from the end of this chapter, we can kind of extrapolate out to what else has been going on with Ron over the course of this chapter. Like, I feel pretty bad for Ron at this point. Yeah. And this, mm-hmm. just your your mention of um, Hagrid having a, the, the drink with Moody. I wonder if Moody, like, hashed out the dragon sighting with Hagrid. Because I think, you know... Of the characters that seem to really know what's going on, Moody seems to to sort of be taking Dumbledore's place there. Um, (laughs) And I like I it seems very clear that that Hagrid had a plan. And that is like the least Hagrid thing that we've encountered so far. (laughs) You you almost give me brain whiplash when you used Hagrid and plan in the same (laughs) sentence. I'm still catching up. So uh, that, anyway, that's actually that's actually a fun call because we, in terms of the timing of it, we just saw the two of them talking at the hogs. At hog, I keep on saying Hogsmeade. It is the Hogsmeade, right? It's um the three the, broomsticks the three brooms. is the bar. Yeah. It's at Hogsmeade. It's in Hogsmeade. Gotcha. We we saw them talking at the bar. Immediately after that, they go over to Harry, who Moody can already see. Mm-hmm. Hagrid immediately then says the thing, and then we go into the scene of him showing it. So the timing could work out perfectly. I mean, because otherwise, like, Hagrid doesn't have a chance to talk to him, really, or would have to invite him separately. Like, it just, it works out a little bit too well with information that Hagrid doesn't have and things Hagrid wouldn't do. Right. I'm perfectly willing to believe that Hagrid knows the dragons are there, because I almost think he just to be able to smell them or have an instinctual knowledge that things that bring him bliss are are close. clean up after them. Like, let's be real. He's probably involved in this in some way. Yeah. But in terms of the idea of thinking about showing it to Harry, doesn't seem like a thing that would just naturally occur to Hagrid. It seems like someone would have to prompt him in that direction. Yeah. 
Um, but this very much, I think we've seen before that whenever one of our Freudian trio of the main characters have a bad day, but b- both of the rest of them usually are a little bit depressed too. Mm-hmm. But this is this is like a couple chapters in a row of where now nah, they're all kind of at the nadir, really. Yeah, yeah. They, even Loki, Hermione had, had a bad run. day. Yeah, and it's basically all Harry's fault. No, it's a little no. bit Ron's fault. I mean, he's too. the cause. Like you know, he he might not be like instigating it. No, but he is sort of basically, the prime mover of it. Like his presence is. I mean, he he is a gravity well of of dung bomb <laughs> right now, and other people in his orbit are getting splashed. <laughs> right. He he's not at fault for starting it, but he's at fault for continuing it, and making it worse. Yeah. Yes. Also, gravity well of dung bomb is going to be my new punk band name. So thank you, BJ. <laughs> Well, uh, well. Questions? The sudden appearance of hags caught me off guard. Uh, I hadn't really thought about or realized that towns like Hogsmeade can just have populations of magical creatures just kind of roaming through them. It seems like there's Mm -hmm. been clear demarcations about where magical creatures are allowed to go or not allowed to go. Mm -hmm. And they don't always, or even very frequently, seem to overlap with, you know, wizard-populated domains. Mm -hmm. Is... Did I just have an accurate read on this, or hags a special category, or do does a certain well, degree of mixing occur? They have separate water fountains and restrooms. Um, I'm kind of going at this, actually. Yes, it's it's actually it's not that far off. I mean, we don't learn a whole bunch about hags as a sort of like subclass of magical creature and like how that actually works, but there is a little bit of I think. By and large, you're right, Spencer, that, you know, magical entities like hags and goblins and um, perhaps house elves in a different reality have vested interests in, for various reasons, not mixing too closely with wizards Hmm. um, as a not like particularly pleasant experience. But, you know, places like Hogsmeade that are explicitly all magic settlements have a little bit more, I think they act as a little bit more of a crossroads um, mm. for these different kind of types of magical entities to meet and interact. I would say it's probably still a pretty rare occurrence as evidenced by the fact that it's even commented on in this yeah. chapter, um, but it's not like unheard of. Um, I mean, so, so like it's even a, like at a minor city in, in the slave trade, not like one of the main shipping routes. And and it's... Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is, is a really <laughs> terrible delve in, into like you know uh, you know mid mid last millennium uh, Dutch trader or something. Other so questions? There's no further comment on that. <laughs> well, it, it was an interesting note because we, we've seen that various magical creatures do associate with humanity at least on individual terms. Mm-hmm. Of where of course house elves have their situation, right? Uh, and we saw that the uh, Vila and Leprechauns were at least being willing to be brought to sporting events to serve as mascots. And we recently found out with Flora that a certain amount of uh, <laughs> interrelations of a different kind can also occur, though I wonder if that's particularly unique to the Vila. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, just, I found note interesting to see them in just in passing that, oh, there are hags wandering about. Mm-hmm. Uh, any from you, BJ? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a slight left turn. Um, so do you all creatures have a thing that they transfigure into or is the transfiguration a like so like mice and or rats into snuff mm-hmm. boxes i don't remember now mm-hmm. and then uh porcupines into pin cushions like mm-hmm. if you just go up to something and cast this spell at it like is there a thing that it would turn into 
Um, is there a certain object that you just embody? Right, and like, but yeah. and we've seen the other way around. Like things can turn in can be turned into animals, and, and like I just don't remember that there's like a specific A to B. Um, but we also have a human into a ferret, so maybe not. Or do all humans turn into ferrets? Or does just Malfoy turn into a ferret? Right. Were That's he true. to become an animagus, would he be a would ferret? Would he be a ferret? Right. In, uh, um, yeah, so I don't, I actually, I was not going to have an answer to this question until you brought up Malfoy turning into a ferret. Mm-hmm. Because I do think, so kind of. We turn Malfoy into other things in later books? <laughs> no, we're going the other way with this. <laughs> mm. um, but I do, you know, we do know that being an animagus is a type of transfiguration. Like it is a sub okay. um, genre, sub specialty. Oh. Well, that makes sense. Like, isn't there a thing, like, if you stay in it too long, it can be problematic? Or am I just thinking of... That's Animorphs. Animorphs. <laughs> but I thought I thought it was kind of a thing for the anim- Magi, too. Yeah, because Sirius stayed as a dog for a long time. And and Peter Pettigrew... I think we talked about this, actually, more Last with book. Peter Pettig- Pettigrew um, and how the movie kind of portrays it. Because when mm-hmm. he is transfigured back into a human, he kind of has rat-like actual right. movements for a while. And they also mm. describe when uh, uh, Sirius is a dog for long enough, he, he loses a lot of his humanity. And, and he that's kind of has to relearn it. To... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That appears almost just more cultural as part of adapting to the form and the world that that would be, rather than necessarily a side effect of the magic. Though. And that, that might be true. Right. Um, but I would, you know, bringing up the animagi in this conversation makes me think that like you know when you become an animagus there is one animal that you transform into that is like somehow like linked to you Mm -hmm. um so i wonder i think that it might be the case that like certain objects just transfigure into other objects into like specific other objects gotcha there might be some wiggle room on that i don't i don't know but given how um, kind of human into animal transfiguration works. It makes mm-hmm. me think that like other brands of transfiguration can't be that far off from it. So do dragons turn into buses? <laughs> uh, the night bus is actually a transfigured dragon that has stayed that way too long. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I, so I, I guess I, I was, I went on the spiral of what is a simple spell that, that could just, defeat a dragon very quickly and then i and then i went into a spencer spiral of oh wait i wonder how does transfiguration work <laughs> you know we've we've had something very specific for a lot of these things but mm-hmm. uh, i've actually got another spell related question just because i was thinking about with them having four dragons which i'm hoping like hell they're not going to all release at once that it's going to be in some way staggered for like each champion or thing mm-hmm. but I'm guessing this isn't going to happen in a vacuum. There's going to be, like, you know, people watching this. This is a major event. I think so they call to... it a Hoover. Sure. So <laughs> it, I'm presuming there's going to, be, got to be some form of, like, magical ward or charm or large-scale protection spells so as to shelter people from what the effect of this is. And it got me thinking about just all of the various large-scale wards that are constantly going into effect with Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. In terms of these, like, large-scale defensive or protective kind of spell. How were they cast or how were they set up? Is it an enchanting of objects or is it an individual spell a wizard cast that just sticks? Do we have any kind of way of knowing how these area of effect spells function or is it kind of varied? Well, we do have the age spell. The, <laughs> we, the, that, like the age of the circle. Sure. Yeah. But, 
Anyway, sorry. Yeah, sorry. no, yeah. actually, I mean, I think that's a pretty good example. So the the real answer to your question, Spencer, is is it's both. Um, mm. There are longstanding um, spe- kind of spells and charms and wards like in built into Hogwarts, like the castle itself, mm-hmm. um, that we kind of get a little bit more information on later. Um, but then there are also kind of protect, essentially like the age charm, protective barriers that you can put up to make things untraceable or undetectable, um, or just to like like the age age line exclude certain. People, you, groups, what, you, you know, whatever. Quidditch matches have some sort of uh, dome that they put on them, or, or is it just, uh, or do they just completely ignore that Heathrow Airport is a thing? And... <laughs> <laughs> I well, well, that's a They're good question. Far in the north. Um, yeah, I would say that you know the Quidditch field at Hogwarts is still like broadly under Hogwarts protection. So yeah, mm. I think it. I think it is invisible to. Um, the, the overhead planes going by. Yeah. <laughs> or it looks like a, a decrepit soccer field. Mm, with some just very large ravens swooping around it. <laughs> uh, non sequitur. Okay. Um, are all uh, self-propelled quills uh, liars? <laughs> I mean, because like, it seems like a great thing to, to have for note-taking in classes, mm-hmm. uh, but not if they are... Uh, loose with with their transcriptions. This feels like one of those things where you can program the algorithm to what you need it to be in your life, and Rita Skeeter has just hacked the system. Mm. Um, but, you know, frustratingly, this is the only self-writing quill that we ever see. There, are, there, There's going to be a frustrating number of examples of that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> it's just incredibly interesting or powerful magical artifact that appears to be a one-off. Mm-hmm. Pretty on brand. Spencer? That is all the questions that are from me. Um, I mean, I always have many more, but I think this is a a good place to to leave it for our next uh, chapter, which is um, Forge Bonnie. The first task. The first task. Yes. Which, unsurprisingly. Mm. Oh, that, that, 420, is this how we actually defeat the dragons? (laughs) Bit of puff and puff in the opposite direction? Uh, I mean, that's how you get magic dragons. Ah, puff. Um, hopefully we see the dragons again, and then hopefully I remember this question that I have, um, but we'll see. Hopefully we'll see them again. That would be one hell of a misleading trip for this chapter. (laughs) Nope, we had them in the field for a day, and they're gone. Oh, well, this has been fun, guys. Till next time.